We are glad to make all of our Jcast Network podcasts free for our listeners. However, they are not free to produce and host. Please consider making a donation to Jcast Network to help support our work by visiting jcastnetwork.org slash donate. Thanks for your support. You are listening to The Stender with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Knopf, please visit mikeknopf.com. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. I thought I would start with, uh, with, with, with some singing and some in, interspersed some singing because my because uh, Rip Shalom was a student of uh, Rip Shalom Karlbach um, and uh, started his yeshiva called Simchat Shlomo uh, in honor of, uh, of, of Rip, uh, Rip Shlomo. Um, and so he really saw himself as, uh, well, he probably, he probably wouldn't have said it this way because he was a very humble guy, but, uh, but he, but he, you know, really kind of embodied carrying on the legacy of Shlomo Karlbach, um, in terms of, um, uh, you know, serious Jewish study, which, uh, Shlomo Karlbach is not usually known for, but certainly, uh, possessed and took seriously, um, and so, you know, his he sort of saw it as his mission in you know, in some ways to kind of like train the next the next generation of Shlomo Karlbachs, people who were who were rooted in traditional Jewish study, um, and, uh, and and also the spirituality, uh, music, joy, uh, and awareness of like youth and counterculture that uh, that Shlomo Karlbach was. Um, so, uh, uh, so that's, uh, he started some Shlomo, um, in that, in that, where is that? uh, it's in Jerusalem, uh, in a neighborhood called Nachlaot, which is, uh, mm-hmm. like right by Machna Yehuda, right. right by Machna Yehuda. So right. if you, if you, if you go to like where Marzipan is, you know, the right. roadblock yep. place in Machna Yehuda, you kind of just like go across the street and then up an alley and that's where the yeshiva is. The yeshiva was in his house, um. But, uh, and is that where you studied with him? Yeah. So, um, your year in Jerusalem or your year mm-hmm. in Israel? So I connected with him through my in-laws, uh, who, um, who initially, uh, knew his wife a little They're bit. They're not better. yet in-laws. That, that, no, at that point they were my in-laws already. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I got married right before my year in Israel. Um, and we were in Israel, uh, uh, fairly early, like, you know, a while before school started, because school started, the, the rabbinical school program that we did at um, Machon Schechter didn't start really until after the High Holy Days. So, um, uh, so I was, and I, so I was, uh, Adira, because she's a saint, um, uh, found work for that year so, to support us. Uh, she was nannying and other things. Um, but I was, I, I couldn't really take a job because, um, because I was going to be going off to school, you know, in, you uh, in, 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 in a month. Um, so, well, yeah, but, uh, anyway, um, so, um, so anyway, so I, um, uh, so Adir's parents connected me to Reb Shalom uh, because they knew him and his wife Judy um, through their days in uh, uh, Reb Shalom's circle, and uh, and so I uh, 
began, like I went basically full time at the, at the yeshiva uh, during um, the Elul session. Um, so we're you know, right, basically right now is the time, the anniversary of the time that I, that I spent a lot of time there. And then I, I became um, uh, close with, with Rab Shalom. Uh, and so, uh, asked him if he would be willing, because Machon Schechter, I don't know if any of you have ever been there or know about it. Did you study there? I didn't study no. there, no, but yeah, but I've been there. You've yeah. been there, but we... Anyway, it has, a, it, has a, it has a deserved reputation of being a very sort of um, buttoned-up academic kind of place. Um, and uh, my classmates and I were looking for um, some more spiritual study. And so I talked to Reb Shalom about whether or not he would study some chassidut with us, uh, with me and many of our students, uh, my classmates who wanted to. And, uh, and he, he, you know, he opened up his home to us uh, once a week in the evening, and we gathered there and studied uh, chassidut for a good portion of the year. Um, so he became a, a really meaningful part of our uh, rabbinical school journey, uh, my classmates and, and, and I as well. Um, and, you know, in some ways it was a, um, uh, it's very interesting, you know, how these sort of, um, uh, how like the generations of rabbis, you know, you can kind of like kind of trace back to their source. Um, so our, you know, my rabbinate and my classmates' rabbinate um, is very much shaped by not only Reb Shalom, but um, uh, a a teacher that we had at, the, at our rabbinical school named Reb Mimi Feigelson, who was, uh, her title was the Mashpia Ruchanit, the um, spiritual supervisor of the school. Uh, and uh, she just uh, retired from the Ziegler School and now is back in Jerusalem, but she was also a student of Reb Shlomo. Uh, she's one of the first uh, women to be ordained as a rabbi and was ordained by Reb Shlomo. So she was also in the circle of uh, Reb Shlomo Karlobach that uh, Reb Shalom and Judy were in. Uh, and so, you know, so it's sort of like, and then my, my in-laws as well. So I kind of like <clears throat> trace my like spiritual lineage in some ways back to, um, back through Reb Mimi and Reb Shalom to, and my in-laws to uh, Reb Shlomo Karlobach, who traces his, you know, who was trained himself in the Lobavitch uh, community in Chabad. Um, and so there's these like generations of, of uh, Hasidic Rebbeim. Uh, Chabad kind of traces itself back to the Altar Rebbe, who, uh, if we have time, we'll encounter in some of uh, Reb Shalom's teaching. Um, Reb Shner Zalman of Liadi, who was a student of um, of the Magid of Mezrich, who was a student at the Baal Shem right? So, um, sort of goes back like that. Um, so I thought that, uh, that, that we would, uh, do a little bit of, uh, singing of, um, of some of Reb Shlomo's melodies, um, as a way of, uh, uh, remembering Reb Shalom and, um, and, uh, and his, uh, spiritual lineage. Um, you know, one, we're in this period right now of, um, the, uh, Shiva Haftarot and Nechamta, seven Haftarot of consolation, which uh, begins with part with Shabbat Nachamu, with Haftarot Nachamu, from Isaiah Nachamu Nachamu Ami Yomar Lochechem, right? Comfort, O comfort my people, says uh, says your God. Dabru Alev Yerushalayim VeKiru Eleha. Uh, speak to the heart of Jerusalem and call out to her, uh, because your your time of uh, of uh, of punishment of of subjugation has been uh, fulfilled. 
Um, so this idea of, of speaking to the heart of Jerusalem, uh, words of comfort, uh, feels really meaningful to me right now because, um, you know, the heart of Jerusalem in, in so many ways for, uh, for me is, uh, Simchat Shlomo. Um, you know, the, I mean, if the beating heart of Jerusalem is like Machane Yehuda in some ways, so it's like right there. Um, so, um, the idea of, uh, speaking to the heart of Jerusalem and, and expressing words of comfort, um, uh, feels really meaningful to me. So, uh, I'll start with the Nigun. Uh, some of you might know it, some of you might not, and then it also has the words from that Haftara in it. So, Shalom Brot, a blessed memory. Um, so uh, every week, uh, Rev Shalom uh, wrote, sends out, uh, sent out um, a, an email 
uh, with uh, uh, reflections on the Parsha. And uh, I don't know, a couple of years ago, he compiled uh, his stuff on Exodus into a book, or some one of his students compiled his stuff on Exodus into a book, uh, which you could get on Amazon. You know, it's a, and um, it's um, it's a really beautiful book. I thought I would just share some of the teachings from from here, the ones that to me reflect um, you know the essence of, of what his teaching was, and and um, you know in so many ways. Uh, this just from the introduction was something that I always remember him saying. You know, uh, Rabbi Nachman of Bratzlov taught that every single story in the Torah is about you and me. From Adam and Chava to the holy patriarchs, from Joseph and his brothers to our enslavement in Egypt, from being liberated to receiving the Torah, and from our journeys in the desert to our entrance into Eretz Israel. They're not only the stories of the history of the Jewish nation, they are our personal stories. In telling the stories, we are aroused and inspired to find ourselves within them and apply their lessons on living, being and actualizing our liberation. Uh, and feel free to interrupt me with, with thoughts or comments, uh, questions, uh, as, they, as they come up for, for you. So this one is called uh, Aye. Where is Hashem's glory in this world of suffering? I remember him, he, he taught a lot about this, you know, in, in some ways very much a student. There's this shadow side of, of uh, Rabbi Shlomo and also the Hasidic tradition in general, but really kind of traces back to Rabbi Nachman of Bratzlav. Rabbi Nachman of Bratzlav said, uh, that it's a great mitzvah to uh, be joyous always. But the shadow side of that is that there's an awareness of, of suffering and pain and sadness. And Rabbi Nachman's life especially was really clouded by people think he was maybe manic depressive or bipolar. Um, uh, so there is this kind of shadow side to Hasidut that there's a, there's, it's sort of cultivating joy because uh, it recognizes the pain and the sadness that people struggle with in their life. And so I remember him talking about this a lot and, the, um, and uh, I think you know, related to personal experience that he had with, with some um, physical ailments. So he says, I want to share a personal experience. And by the way, I, I love this teaching also on Shabbos because in the Kedusha we say, um, Ayei Kivodo, where is the place of God's holiness? And then like in the next breath we say, uh, Kivodo Male Olam, that God's glory uh, fills the whole world. So we sort of answer the question um, uh, right away. Um, it's interesting sort of uh, tension that you have there. So he says, I want to share a personal experience that explains why the lessons of the Exodus are so important to me. It all stems back to one significant night during a tortuous period of my life. A torturous, excuse me, period of my life. I was living alone and feeling rejected in the deepest way. I had been suffering from an ulcer for a long time. No matter what I did, the attacks were only getting worse. <clears throat> At the time, I was teaching the Exodus story, and I was sitting and I was sitting at my desk trying to focus on lesson planning, so I would not be swallowed in pain. Now, I actually don't know when this was in his life exactly, but he um, uh, was originally from Montreal, and he spent some time uh, teaching uh, Chumash, teaching Bible at the Solomon Schechter School in Montreal. Um, so he he had a an, an awareness of and a connection to an affinity for conservative Judaism, even though he was very much steeped in, in Orthodox. In orthodoxy. And he ordained a woman? Re, no, uh, Reb Shalom did not. Uh, he was uh, classmates with, uh, with, with a woman, with Reb Mimi Feigelson. Reb Shlomo Karlebach did. Oh. Um, with, with a couple of other rabbis who are anonymous um, on, on uh, her baiting. But yeah. Um, uh, no matter what I did, the attacks were only getting worse. 
at the time I was teaching the Exodus story and I was sitting at my desk trying to focus on lesson planning so I would not be swallowed in pain. Suddenly my ulcer racked me with such a severe attack that I literally fell to the floor. Amidst my tears, I found myself crying out the most earnest plea I'd ever made to God. Hashem, why are you doing this to me? Why are you, what are you trying to tell me? Rabbi Nachman's lesson, Ayeh, in Likutei Moharan, teaches that no matter how low you have fallen, Hashem is right there with you. But you really have to ask, Ayeh Mekom Kevodo. Ayeh Mekom Kevodo. Where is the place of His glory? Unaware of this teaching, I instinctively called out, Ribono Shololam, where is your glory? Here in my present life experience, which is so painful, in which I feel so alone, hurt, and victimized, where are you? What glory is there in this place? Am I, Chas v'shalom, God forbid, so utterly disconnected from you? Because my cry was totally sincere, like the cry of a child, Hashem gave me a clear answer. I realized that my suffering was, on one level, a result of my negligence of an extremely important mitzvah, Hachnasad Orchim, welcoming guests into your home. That moment of clear communication with Hashem changed everything. All of a sudden, a new gate opened up. All that was left to do was enter honestly and willingly. Just having been blessed to feel Hashem beside me in my suffering allowed my healing process to begin. I was suddenly inspired to look at the Exodus through a personal lens. I began to ponder whether the Torah's portrayal of the story contained all we need to know in order to heal our souls and achieve personal liberation. A critical question preyed upon me as I worked through the amazing four stages of redemption. The four stages of redemption are the teaching is in Parshat Vaera, uh, uh, excuse me, Vaera, um, no, Vaera, um, Vaera is in Genesis, Vaera is in, in Exodus, Vaera, um, that um, there, there are four words of um, uh, indicating redemption. Um, uh, um, uh, um, which is why we have four cups of wine at the Seder, because it corresponds to each of those uh, words of redemption. And there's a Hasidic teaching that there are that, that those represent four different levels of redemption. Um, and each level the children of Israel had to go through in order to be fully redeemed. Do I truly believe in divine providence? Do I fully believe that Hashem is present at all times in everything that occurs? After much introspection, I finally felt confident that my answer to that question was, yes, I do believe in Hashem's divine providence. I went on to consider how, according to this belief, Hashem was present even while I was undergoing great suffering. Why would he allow such things? This led me to an even more difficult question. Do I honestly believe everything that Hashem does is good? This time it wasn't so easy to answer in the affirmative. After many weeks, I came to the honest conclusion that I at least wanted to believe that all Hashem does is for the good. This, too, was a level of belief. Having answered honestly, I was blessed with a new question and prayer, although I hadn't truly prayed in a long time. Hashem, if everything you do is for the good, what were you trying to teach me? What am I supposed to learn from all that has happened in my life? I was ready and open to listen. Again, because I was sincere, I started to learn some very deep lessons from past experiences. Although I still had no idea why it was that I had, that I had to learn my lessons in the, in, uh, in the particular way they had been delivered, I began to experience life-transforming insights. 
I understood that by strengthening my bond with the compassionate one, I would be able to share Hashem's compassion with others. It took a few years to get to that stage, but eventually I was close enough to Hashem to help console someone else, someone who was on the verge of giving up on life. When I was able to infuse my friend with a sense of Hashem's love, I not only forgave Hashem for everything, I joyfully danced to the words from the Psalms, Hudu Lashem Kitov Kilelam Chasto. Honestly admit and give thanks to Hashem, for He is good. His kindness is both hidden and eternal. The answer to Ayemekom Kivodo is always the same. Kivodo Male Olam. His honor fills the world. It may be hard to feel it, but when we call out from our depths, Hashem lifts the veil and we see how much He is in everywhere and everything, loving us so infinitely. I remember that, that you know, he, he, um, spent, he focused a lot on the idea of, uh, of, of divine providence and, um, and uh, God's presence uh, filling everywhere. And you know, there's, there's elements of that theology that are obviously uh, challenging and troubling. Um, and I had lots of conversations with him about it. Um, but there is something really, I think, powerful about um, recognizing the presence of God uh, uh, everywhere and in everything. Um, being able to look at one's own pain as a teacher, um, I think, is a really powerful idea. Um, you know, not necessarily taking it to the direction he goes that, that, like, it's you know, it's a punishment for not fulfilling a certain kind of mitzvah. Um, although, if that's a comforting idea for you, then 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 uh, by all means. Um, but uh, but nevertheless, I think you know, uh, even if that's not the direction you go, I think that uh, uh, that often our, our trials can be our, our teachers if we allow them to. So. Um, um, so he also let's see, I'll keep an eye on the time alright, so maybe one more maybe one more I don't want to yeah, go keep ahead. you from doing that no, go ahead. but if you were going to say so what has he left in the world what is what's what? the what has he left in the world what's the fundamental thing <clears throat> what has Rev Shalom left yes, in the world that he may be gone in one way, but that's what it is. What's his legacy? I, I mean, in a way. Like tangible. Yeah, as but I don't mean some, but just. It's a good question. I can, I can really only. For an, yourself. Yeah, I can really only answer like it for myself. Right. right. Um, so what, um, what he, he offered me a few things. The first is is actually that lesson. I mean, it must have been a really uh, uh, deeply impactful lesson that he learned for himself in that experience about Hachnasad Rahim because um, he really and, and his wife Judy really modeled that. I mean, you know, um, their yeshiva was their home, and their home was their yeshiva, um, and uh, and and you know they made it a place where um, where everybody was was welcome and everybody was included. Um, you know. I, there, there would have been plenty of uh, Hasidic or otherwise Orthodox yeshivas in Israel that wouldn't have uh, um, uh, wouldn't have bothered, you know, saying "Come and learn with with us," um, and it wasn't even a hesitation for him. And more than that, I mean, he even he even offered me a, a time. I didn't take him up on it because I felt really, really intimidated by it, but to like teach a class at the yeshiva, um, and um, you know, he. he, he Going over there on like on on 
Shabbos was like was crazy because it's just like the walls of his house just kind of expanded to take in these like masses of people from and Nachlaot is like this really kind of eclectic neighborhood of Jerusalem. Um, it's the perfect place for for his for for where they lived and what there she was because it's you know it's like this combination of um, of like hippie culture and Hasidic culture. Um, so, uh, so it's just like this, like, like sort of wild place. It's sort of like, as if you mixed, um, uh, like San Francisco in the, in the late sixties with Maya Sharim and like blended them together. <laughs> and also, isn't this also the place now where all these little rest, all these little restaurants have sprung up? Is that what I read about recently? Yeah. I mean, there's more in Machna Yehuda itself. No, no, but across the street. Um, you talked. You said it was across the street, and then through the little neighborhood, and there are all these little restaurants that have been. Maybe there are restaurants there now. I don't know. Um, there are definitely a lot in the Machna Yehuda area that weren't there a few years ago. Um, anyway, so anyway, the, um, so Hachna Sadrachim is a big one. The idea of of um, he was very taken with with divine providence, but the idea of of um, uh, God's pervasive presence in God's uh, role and um, and uh, presence in every moment, every experience in life um, uh, is, I think, a, a, an aspect of his teaching that endures for me. Um, and then uh, um, uh, this was something, these, the, these are two things I think that he really got from, um, from, from his teacher um, that, uh, that uh, one should Approach Torah um, without uh, uh, without ego, and to approach other people without judgment. Um, and I and I really I think that that was true for him. Um, he um, you know he really he, he was a really humble guy, um, and he uh, and he uh, encountered everybody in the world with that spirit of humility. And it said about Reb Shlomo that he would you know he would like know the the bums on the street of New York by name, you know, um, that, uh, that he, uh, really had a, um, uh, um, uh, that nobody was too insignificant for him. Um, and, uh, and Rip Shalom, I think embodied that too, that nobody was too insignificant. Nobody was insignificant. Um, uh, everybody mattered. And he and he helped a lot. I mean, I saw him, you know, walk in and out of, of his home, and he helped a lot of lost souls. I mean, there's a lot of people who like kind of like they say about California that like America kind of like tilts, so that uh, so that like people who tumble tumble down to, to California. Right? So, um, so it's I think that's true. Uh, you know, like like the axis the axis of Jerusalem also kind of tilts to Nachlaot, right? Um, so uh, and and. And, um, and he really, uh, um, you know, saved souls. Um, I think actually that, that's what I was going to uh, uh, read in, in this one because um, I think it gives a sense of like go. the ah, yeah. Um, no, it's okay. Um, we can continue this later. <laughs> no, we can. Um, um, see you. Uh, Rabbi, one piece of bad news: Jerry was outside talking to me. His mother-in-law passed away. Oh, oh I'm sorry to hear that. Gary Goldberg. Oh, sorry to hear that. on a mat. Um, I mean, they were waiting, but still. <laughs> so we'll read, um, and then also music, song. Continue this yeah. after Minto. Um, so I'll, uh, um, 
Let me, let me read one more teaching. You guys can, can go if you need to go. Um, we'll read one more teaching, sing one more song, and then we'll, we'll go up. So, and I think it's, it's, uh, it, it's worthy for this time of the year. Uh, and so now we'll do it also um, in, in honor of his memory, but also in honor of... Um, do we know uh, Debbie's mother's name? Uh, I don't remember it. Mm. Sorry. All right. Well, in honor of uh, Debbie's mother, and in honor of um, of Kathy Green, the dearest aunt who passed away also this week. Oh. Um, so it's says, and it was when Pharaoh sent out the people from Egypt. The holy Orachaim asks two questions on the opening verse of Parshat B'Shalach. The first is, why does the Torah use of Vayahi? And it was, and it came to be in this passage. According to the Talmud, the word Vayahi signifies pain. Whereas the word vehaya signifies joy. So in this passage where the Torah is telling us that we are finally liberated from Egypt, it's surprising that Vayahi is used as opposed to vehaya. The second question is, why does the Torah say, and it was when Pharaoh sent the people, instead of emphasizing that it was Hashem who took us out of Egypt, the verse stresses Pharaoh's permission, as if he truly had a say in our exodus. The Orachim's answer is that yes, Hashem allowed Pharaoh to play a role in our exodus. True, Hashem forced Pharaoh, pushing him to the point where he had to let us go. Nevertheless, we left Egypt only once he agreed to let us go. His actual permission was crucial. Hashem did not bring Pharaoh to the point where he had no choice whatsoever. Why? Because Hashem wanted to leave Pharaoh the opportunity to change his mind. And sure enough, just a few days later, Pharaoh made the mistake of pursuing the children of Israel into the sea, thereby bringing further catastrophe upon himself and his people. The children of Israel were saved. Why then was the word Vayahi used in this verse? Because Hashem cares about all of his creatures and is pained by the fact that Am Yisrael's exodus was linked to the Egyptians' demise. We may wonder why Hashem could be saddened by events he himself orchestrates. We must understand that there are certain structural elements to this world that Hashem set up for the greater good. It's hard for us to grasp how suffering and tikkunim, karmic fixing, work in this world. But we must understand that Hashem always suffers when any of his creations suffer. What are the personal implications of this teaching of the Orachaim? Consider the two following tshuva scenarios. There's a Baal tshuva who returns to Hashem because circumstances have forced her to relent from her transgressions. She'd be happy to continue her journey of careless debauchery and overindulgence, but she wound up broke in jail or rehab, and has finally been pushed to the point where she simply can't continue to lead her former life. If things had not become so difficult, she would most likely not be doing tshuva. Then there is the Baal Tshuva who is returning to Hashem because that's all he wants. Regardless of his present personal circumstances, be they good or bad, this Baal Tshuva simply experiences a great love for Hashem. He has had a revelation of how sweet it is to be connected with Hashem. And so he decides that he must return to Hashem with all his heart. The difference between these two is that the latter one will likely do a much deeper, more complete, and lasting tshuva, whereas the first one is not fully letting go of her ego and may still chase herself into the sea, chas v'shalem. On the journey toward personal liberation, we're always doing tshuva of some sort. It's crucial that we note what level of tshuva we're doing and what's motivating us. The Tanya teaches that everything we ever do is always motivated either by fear or love. Although some level of fear is healthy, actions motivated by love always have more weight and permanence to them. May we all be blessed to completely and wholeheartedly give ourselves over to Hashem. Amen.